0: To the Lord, you can have a seat. Oh, one of my favorite songs. I literally, every time we're coming into a weekend, I'm speaking, I was like, Can we sing God of Revival before I speak? Um, I just love the tsunami that I get my surfboard out and I just can ride that tsunami to the shore. I just love that song so much. There's just something about the lyrics of singing in here as a church for the sake of the city. And those lyrics, God awaken your people, come awaken this city, O God of revival, pour it out. I I don't want him just to awaken the people of God, I want him to awaken our community and our city and our nation right now. And so we cry out in this place, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of the world. And he's awakening people so much. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The generosity and the grace and the gifts of God are given for his love of the world. He so loves the world and to join him in a love for the world. He didn't so love the church that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the world. So he gave his only begotten son. And so we cry out for the sake of the world. And he is saving people. He's awakening not just the church, but he's awakening people in the world. I was sitting right behind my brother Levi. Levi, can you just come up here for a second? I wasn't planning on doing this, but my brother, it was probably three months ago. Come on up. He's got his Bible in hand. Um, This is Levi. Yeah, man. And we met at Um, He wrote me a a long email, and I could tell it was philosophical and intellectual and theological. And he's like, can we go out and talk? And he was just sort of a skeptic as it related to Christianity um, and the things of God. And so we began talking for a couple hours, and then I gave him the book, Case for Christ, and letters from a skeptic. He devoured them. You've already moved on from that. That's really wonderful. And so he uh, came in, I remember it was about a month ago, and he said, I'm beginning to believe. It was just the phrase. And then last week came up after the service and said, just this last week, I gave my heart to God and I invited him into my heart. And so, yeah, Levi, part of the family. He's awakening his people. You can have a seat. I won't do that to you ever again, probably. Um, It's not... (laughs) It's not just pie in the sky, like it's happening. People who are just like, I I just wanted nothing to do with it. I know his wife has been inviting him and just loves the Lord, has been reading her, her Bible we even shared last week. She's like, I'd pray for him and sometimes I'd like share with him. And he's like, don't push Jesus on me. And so he began to come, don't push Jesus on me. And she's like, I don't know if it's a right thing, but I just stopped talking to him. And I just kept reading the Bible. And I'm like, well, 1 Peter 3 says, don't win him with words, but by your example, you will lead him to Christ. And you did that. And I just want to affirm you, not just the one on stage, but the one backstage. Because I'm telling you, I'm who I am because of my wife who's on her knees every morning at 6.30 in the morning with her Bible open out in the living room before other people get up. She's out there every day pouring over God's word for the sake of our kids and our lives and this church. And so we just honor you in that as well. God's awakening his people. And I love that, not just here, but out there. In this Christmas season of giving, I've been blown away with the generosity of our church toward the city toward the community and the world around us. Can I just bring you up to speed on what we've been doing as a body to be the hands and feet of Jesus lately? Do you mind if I do that? Sometimes people know what they're doing or giving individually, but they don't actually know what we're collectively doing, what in concert together we do to create a symphony of generosity It started with the food packing last month where 700 plus of you showed up, gave of themselves and our church packed 285 meals. They're already coming back and and thanking us from the other side of the world. Thank you for the food coming into Christmas. And that was $80,000 for our church to purchase all of that food to put it in a container to send over there. A stork didn't bring it and just drop it out of the sky like it's real people behind the scenes that gave and your generosity translated into that. Then we sent a mission team over there about a month ago with leaders to get to our care point in Madabu, Guinea. And that cost us over $20,000 to bless the people and to let them know we're not going anywhere. After COVID, a lot of churches abandoned a lot of the care points. We're not abandoning you. We're here for you. And so we give to Swaziland and Eswatini and our care point in Nisogo, Africa. Generosity is defined as giving with no strings attached. No expectation of any kickback, it is truly fueled by a heart of paying it forward. And our church has been doing just that lately. We gave a large financial year end gift to Flat River Outreach Ministry to fuel them as they meet the needs of the disadvantaged and needy in our community. What I think what blessed me most uh, this year was how our church rallied to bring gifts for the Christmas tree and the 500 cards they took off the tree to send over to Frum so that those who are without can have a Christmas morning with their kids this year. And the tree has been packed and repacked and repacked and repacked. Um, and this week, Jim Petrovich took over six truckloads of gifts from our church the last couple of weeks as he delivered the last load, he came back in tears and said, I've never been so proud of our church. Tears flowing down his face. And then Amy Bell sent us what that translated into from our body. And there are so many families that are going to have Christmas this year because of your generous hearts. Amy Bell, who's John Bell, Ball brother, John Bell up here, spoke last week. She's the one that coordinates this for the community and puts those in totes and gives them out to families. So grateful for what she's doing. This is love. Amen. This is Christmas. This is a part of the gospel. We give people the bread of life, but we actually give them real bread too. Jesus gave them real bread and then gave them the bread of life. Our kids have been getting in on the action too as they've made Christmas cards for our local assisted living facilities this year, and they've been staying in the lines. I mean, I don't know if you can tell, but that's like some good color. And they put their name on it. They put notes. Sarah sent over one that had just a bunch of them, this next picture. And you can see 200 of these have been made by our kids. We've been taking them to all the facilities in the area. And uh, we took them over to Maple Ridge this last week, handed out the cards. And then a team did some crafts with our beautiful friends in the nursing home. I think they were making some Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeers deer together. And... I I think what's cool is ever since Sarah was hired on for outreach to work both in the prisons and in our nursing homes, like church has been started in some of these locations. For the last three months, we've been over there every week. People have been to go over to lead worship and hymns with them and to read the word with them and to bring church to those who are forgotten, to bring them the presence of Christ and the presence of the body of Christ so that they can experience that. It's been powerful. Just some other good news that kind of came on the scene the last month. Kids Hope has finally been approved to start in the middle school. And Ben Jagger's been leading that. If you don't know what that is, it's one person, one hour a week with one child, one church, going to kids that are in in need, they're high-risk kids that are struggling to keep up, and and somebody comes alongside of them, and is a father figure and a mother figure for them, encouraging them, someone to look up to that's there every week to help them along. The administration has been wanting us to come over, which is amazing. The funds have been raised, and there's 12 mentors waiting in the wings to start in the Lowell Middle School in January. This has just been a dream the last 10 years. And just so that you know, I, I think there's sometimes like this well, the church and the school and the separation of church and state, and there are some of those realities, but we love our schools in this place. And our schools want us to be a part of what's going on in our schools because we've been here a while and our presence is we're for the schools, we're not against them. We don't agree in everything, but we're for our administrators in our schools. In fact, I emailed Nate Follower, the principal of the school, last week and just shared with him, our church loves you, we're behind you, we pray for you, I want you to know I know you've taken hits, but we're We're here for you. We've got your back in this community. And so to partner with them for the sake of this next generation is powerful. I got one more for you. Are you okay with that? I don't know if you're like, oh, I've had so much good news this week. I don't need any good more stories to be told. Um, This is a good one. After five months of preparation this week was our first meeting in Hanlon Correctional Facility in Ionia. Um, Sarah's been working there, gotten all the approval for us to start a campus there. And so this week she went over and uh, we as a staff prayed around her and tears were flowing down her face because God put a vision in her heart like five years ago to be with the least of these and he said, what you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. And she's had a heart for this. So a team went over this week on Monday and uh, started the groundwork. We're going to be launching Impact Campus, Handlin campus, over there in the beginning of January. And so they're going to become part of our body inside the prison. She actually had these shirts that she made. And a, th- a thank you note to all the leaders who are going to be going over there to partner as we go over and teach and preach there. Have life groups over there and worship over there. Handling Campus. Can you pray for that in the next month? Um, I I made a joke the last service. They are truly a captive audience. It's too early for a dad joke, isn't it? Um, You're not a captive audience. That's why you get up and leave and go to the bathroom all the time during the service. But they have to actually sit and listen to you and have no choice. I'm so excited about this, God's favor has been all over this. And I'm excited to see us spread the love and joy of Jesus to those who are incarcerated. That they might be set free by the power of the gospel. There's so much life that's happening in our church. So much generative, generous life that's happening in our church. I talked to a guy last week that travels to come to Impact an hour and a half every week. And I'm like, why do you do that? There's just so many churches, good churches. And he says, the reason I do it is the church that's alive is worth the drive. A church that's alive is worth the drive. And I wanna be alive, like the early church was alive. All of this outreach and generosity wouldn't be possible without your generosity because none of these things I mentioned are given with the expectation that we'll receive anything back other than the joy of giving. In fact, we know we won't. There are no strings attached because besides the desire to shine the light of Jesus into the places that are often heavy, lonely, dark, and hopeless. So we say, as we sang in that song, come awaken your people, come awaken this city and community, O God of revival, pour it out. As I share the last message in our wildfire series in the book of Acts, And this was on Thursday because I had a whole other message planned on Tuesday and Wednesday and I had to scrap the whole thing, which I was very angry at. But we had a prayer meeting with our staff on Thursday morning and he planted some things in my heart that I didn't think made any sense until I started just thinking through it. Why is this coming to my mind? Why is this percolating and stirring inside of me? I couldn't stop thinking about the Hebrew Passover where the Israelites would share what is called a Seder meal. It was a time to pass down through oral tradition, the story of how God had been faithful to them and rescued them time and time. Again, the Seder meal is is this here, the traditional one anyway, and the parsley dipped in salt water was signified a time of flourishing in the beginning when Joseph went with his family and they were there and welcomed in that turned to tears over time with the salt water. The bitter herb, the romaine lettuce, it was beginning with a comfortable bondage where they would work and and it was comfortable in the beginning, almost like romaine lettuce out toward the end where it's green tastes good and the closer you get to the base, it tastes bitter. It literally, that's what it means. It started green and it started getting more bitter over time. The apple walnut salad with wine was the mortar they would mix for building bricks as slaves as they were whipped by taskmasters. Next bitter herb, the horseradish that they would eat would signify the bitterness of over 400 years of Egyptian slavery. The roasted lamb shank bone was the sacrifice that was offered for the firstborn when they put it on the doorposts and God, you know, the death angel passed over them because the blood had been shed. And then the hard boiled egg is the hope for a new beginning beyond the bondage. It's interesting, every year they would come together, have a Seder meal. And so generations that were separated from that, these young kids that were coming up, they're like, you can't forget where we came from. We can't just move on and rush on. We're in a generation, it's like, who cares about then and there? It's about here and now into the future. I could care less about the story. And I want you to know there's a story at impact. And there's been a story back in Acts that we've tried to reacquaint ourselves with. A remembrance of sort to go back into Acts and say, what happened back there? And how can we reassemble that and remember that and resemble that afresh The things that happened in the early church, there was power and multiplication, is that happening in our body now. The Holy Spirit and Pentecost came where they were filled with the Spirit. Prayer and fasting was a part of what they did. The word of God spread in power. The gospel was alive and well. There was cultural engagement and evangelism happening. There was worship even in the midst of suffering like John talked about last week. And this week we're talking about radical generosity and service that spilled out of the overflow of their hearts. And just like the Passover where they shared a meal to rehearse what God did in Israel, we have taken time to remember our roots, to look back and reflect on the early church in order to awaken afresh to its implications to our lives today in the 21st century. A remembrance for resemblance. Lord, we remember this to resemble this afresh. Habakkuk did this as he was looking back at what God did in the Old Testament as a prophet. He said in this, in chapter 3, verse 2, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. I know a lot of things that you did way back when, and I stand in awe of that. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known. He's crying out for what we're crying out. We see what you did in Acts. Could you do it again? And God answered in Acts 1, 5 where he said, Look at the nations and watch, buddy boy, and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days you wouldn't believe even if you are told. And he's like, that's what I cried out for. Renew in our days what you did in those days. And he's like, I'm going to do something in your days you wouldn't believe even if you are told. That's what we're crying out for in this church. As your pastor, that's what I'm crying out for. I don't want just a dead church. I don't want another building that puts boards up the windows. I want to be a people alive to the things of God. And I want to rehearse and remember, here's what you did. Do it again. Here's what you did. Do it again. Do that again, God. We don't want to sit here and rest on our laurels and bide our time and, until the rapture. We want you to do this here and now in our midst. It's remembrance for the sake of resemblance. We cry out that same prayer as we look at the book of Acts. Repeat what you did in Acts in our day, in our time. Make it known. And we as a church want to resemble the early church more than the modern church. We want to be like early day saints, not the latter day saints, right? So we turn our hearts to week 10 of our series where we reflect on the early church's generosity. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Acts chapter 4. I'm just going to look at verse 32 to 37. I know you've been reading along. Maybe you just kind of in a cursory way read through these verses because these don't make sense to modern times. But I don't think the church needs to make sense. In fact, I think that's the problem most of the time. We make way too much sense. And there's sometimes we don't need to be relevant to the world. We need to be relevant to God. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know it's a lot easier to testify about the resurrection that God is alive when the church is alive? And when the church is alive, you've preached the message that God is alive, and they're like, I believe you. For too long, it's like, God is alive, but the church is dead. So what, what gives? And God's grace was powerfully at work in them. And there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. And Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The people of the early church showcased a radical generosity, so much so that even people that were unbelievers and pagans in the world took note and couldn't help but witness something they hadn't seen before. In fact, this one guy, Aristides, an unbeliever, was sent by Emperor Hadrian in 165 AD to spy out on the people called Christians. And his words to the emperor have reverberated down through the centuries, behold how they love one another. In the context of this quote, he was speaking of their generosity, their compassion, the way that they cared for one another. In 185 AD, the early Roman theologian Tertullian said, it is our care for the helpless, our practice of generous, loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. So even the people that hated them could not deny that this people group was generous and lovingly kind, open-handed and open-hearted. Generosity has always set Christians apart, showing the world that we operate on a radically different value system. What religions beside Christianity have established hospitals or networks of famine relief and development to help starving people, victims of disasters and refugees... In the fall of 2017, hurricanes swept through the Caribbean and southern United States, devastating millions of lives. Writing about the Hurricane Harvey, which ravished Houston, journalistic blogger Trevin Wax wrote this, and I quote, Houston will get through this tragedy because of God's people who are already there and God's people who are on the way. Volunteers from all over the country giving and going. That's a church that's alive. Not just for days and weeks, but months and years. I remember how churches mobilized when the Nashville flood hit a few years ago. In the aftermath, we gutted houses and helped people reconstruct their lives. I remember the stench of those washed out neighborhoods, but I also remember the fragrance of the generous hearts and good deeds of God's people. That is the church say, well, what about impact story? What's our personal Passover experience? If we were going to, through oral tradition, pass on the story of impact the last 20 years, what what would we sit around with our kids and new people that have come to impact over the last year or two or five or ten years? How would we share our story of generosity? I was thinking about that and sharing story in the Hebrew culture. This was such a big deal when God would do something in their midst. Joshua chapter 4, starting in verse 20, it said, All at Gilgal, Joshua set up 12 stones that they had taken from the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future, when your children ask their fathers, What is the meaning of these stones? You are to tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. He split the Jordan River, and they walked through on dry ground. He did this so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. Through oral tradition, passing down, what are the memorials? What are, what are the things that we would say, man, you go back in history and this led to this led to this. I was thinking about our church and our church started in 2003 over on Lincoln Lake at the, at the old Wesleyan church. But it's been a church since the late 60s. And I remember when I first came here, so moved by the story of the A-frame church, and I was like, oh, this is where the church started. No, the church actually started at this house that became the parsonage where they met in the basement, and it was 10 and 15 and 20. It got to 25, 30 people, and they were outgrowing the basement. And so in order to build that A-frame building, that simple upstairs and downstairs building, those people put notes out on things that they had in their life. They mortgaged their homes. They gave their life and their livelihood and laid down their lives so that that church might be built because they believed God's presence, a fresh expression of the church needed to come to Lowell, and they laid it all on the line. And you'd be like, oh, good for them. No, no, no. That's the only reason why we're here. We're here all these years later. Those people, most of them, aren't alive anymore. I met one of them um, back in the day who came and told me the story, and I just thought, oh my goodness, It's not just about us starting and restarting this church in 2003. You guys are the ones that laid it all on the line in generosity. In 2003, I came, and in 2006, there was what was called the extreme Impact Extreme Makeover where we were outgrowing the A-frame, went to three services, and we built that new place where the YMCA is now. Every time I'm working out in there, I remember this story where we went over to... um, Keystone and we had a dinner and people committed to give and to, to sacrifice above tithe and offering in order to build that building. And I remember my wife and I sitting there and it's like, what are we going to give? And I think we had like $800 in the bank and we both decided we're going to give $500, five eighths of everything that we have to this building campaign. It might not seem like a lot, but I was so nervous to give that. And I, I'm not a giver by nature. I just like to save. I don't ever feel like we have enough money. Does anybody know? I'm talking about like we could save and save and save and I'd never feel enough. And Heidi's the giver. In fact, I grew up and I didn't tithe growing up. She tithed growing up. So when we got married, I'm like, oh, the church is paying me. I'm a youth pastor. Why would I give back to the church what they just gave back to me? And I remember her saying to me, "Uh, you don't want to be robbed of the experience of giving God the first fruits of what he gave you. And I'm like, yeah, I do um, want to do that. And it was then we started tithing together to the church that I was a youth pastor at so that I had the joy of understanding how blessed it was to put God first. In our life. And it was also then that I realized my life was going to be bossed around by my wife for the rest of my days. <laughs> Saved the Bruce, Bruce Initiative. He was my executive pastor in 2010. Got an email from our financial director at the time, Lori, that said we have $326 in the bank. This is when our church was 700 people. God was moving on the outside, the guts just were not healthy. We were so young fledgling body, and I remember we stopped our series, we're in Origins in July, and we just did this massive yard sale. It was as close to the early church as anything I've been a part of. People were bringing in cars and campers and motorbikes and boards, you know, boats, just large ticket items. We had just gotten a new car, someone gave us a new car, we came to the driveway and I had a 2008 Impala, And I just got the Apollo about a year and a half before. It was the only thing we could liquidate to give money to the church. And we sold that so that we could give the money to the church so that the church would be sustained and would survive the season of time. And $80,000 was raised. And I just saw the church come together and do early church kind of stuff. And I'm like, that's why I moved up here from Ohio. I mean, they have a better football team down there, but up here, (laughs) the church is the church up here. I had to do that, I... I'm sorry about that. I'm so stinking mad about that still. I wanted to be where the church was alive. And so we sold the car and gave money to that. And I drove around, anybody remember when I drove around a scooter for two years? 100 miles to the gallon. I'd take off my helmet and come in and preach. And go home. That sucker, there was one road after the high school, you go down that hill going to the gas station. If I tucked behind that thing like this, I could get up to 55 miles an hour on that sucker. And it was really cold. There was one day I came in and it was 22 degrees and uh, going 55 miles an hour at 22 degrees outside, even with winter jacket, it goes right on through that. Um, But those are moments I'll never forget. You know what that was all about? Nothing's worth more than the church that you died for and its presence because I believe the church is the hope of the world. Miracle May came around so that our kids zone didn't flood and we fixed that and people gave to fix up our building. Banner Year's campaign to expand that building. I don't know if you remember that, but $1.1 million was given. Sacrificial Summit, we moved out of our building over there to renovate the building, went over to the high school in the ALPAC and moved about 900 people around and we're just the movement church of God. I love that time. The Blessed Life series, I'll never forget, we had a weekly need of like 20,000 to function. We were getting maybe 17, 18,000, 16,000. We did a tithing series and our church started to give. And from that moment on, we went over 30,000 a week. Like we literally went 30 to 40% more. Just like that, our church is like, we're going to give. We believe in what God is doing in this church and we've never looked back. Our Through the Roof campaign to be in this building, $9 million raised. We had a lot of Barnabases that kicked in. Stimulus Storehouse during COVID. Uh, When people were getting stimulus checks that they didn't need, they brought them to our church. We started a fund. We started giving them out to people in our community that lost jobs and had needs. We have, even in the last month, been continuing to give them. We got so much money. We continue to give that to the community as some of you gave your stimulus check as a storehouse for the people that were going through it at the beginning of COVID. So powerful. And now we're in our generation series where people are giving more, and that is going to the next generation. I rewrote the verse in Joshua this way to make it conducive to impact. In the future, when your children ask their fathers, what's the meaning of this place called impact? You're to tell them impact crossed through the raging waters of impossible seasons on dry ground. Our practice of generous loving kindness branded us in the eyes of the whole community. The whole community. In every season of our church we've shared... A generosity maxim around here that invites new people into our culture of radical giving. The golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The platinum rule is do for others what they did for you. We've never forgotten what people have done for us to open up a seat in a building for us to get here and so that we start giving to do something for someone else that is going to be sitting in the seat in another year or a month just like that was given so that we could be here, we're going to give so somebody else can be reached like a Levi because Levi's keep coming into this place. A new wave of people giving for the next wave of people that will come. That is the church just easy to think it's just all come here I was with my son and uh we went over to DCC to watch the wrestling match this um over to I forget the name of the town um that it was in Nova I believe and we're on our way back and my son Caleb went with me and he just popped back his seat and slept and we got all the way home I drove into the driveway I shut off the car and he popped up He was like whoa that was fast <laughs> stupid kid I was like, yeah, it was fast for you. You were asleep the whole time. It was like that for me. I had to drive, right? Oh, that was fast. How many of your kids are like, that was easy. It was like, well, it was easy for you because you didn't help. It was actually very hard. If you would have helped, you realize it wasn't easy at all. Or, oh, that that didn't cost that much. It didn't cost you that much. It cost me a whole lot. We'd be like, oh, we're in a free country. We're only in a free country, but this freedom was not free. And I'm telling you, as a church, you can be like, oh, that was fast. That was easy. That didn't cost much. That was free. It's not somebody has to be the person that does it for the next person to enjoy it. And the people that start enjoying it were like, stop enjoying it and start contributing to it for the next person to enjoy it until they're reminded by the pastor, this isn't easy. It's not cheap. It doesn't happen automatically or accidentally. It's because people are laying down their lives. They're not like Caleb that kick back and fall asleep and just pop up when it's over and say, ah, that was fast. (laughs) Acts 4, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. I was struck the first three words, all the believers, all of them, kids, kids, Husbands, wives, young, old, Gentiles, Jews, all of them were together in this sharing ethos. I remember when we did the building campaign for the church in 2016, because I collect this stuff. This little boy came up to me and gave me all the money he had. And he came up to me, and I took this picture after I got home from church. He heard about the story of the woman that gave the two coins to God and came up after the service and put his $2 in my hand for the building campaign. He's a part of this building campaign. We can talk about the big donor from Florida that gave $6 million. This kid gave everything he had. That billionaire just gave a little bit of money. This kid gave everything. I had a kid last night come up to me by the name of Bo, and he came up and he's like, I wanted to give you this $10. I was working with my dad today, and he just gave it to me. I want to give this to the church. I'm like, bro, we're doing generations to give you money for you. And the next generation's coming up and saying, I want to give to the generations that I'm a part of. just love that. In this passage, we see these five things. There was a unity in their generosity. All the believers were one in heart and mind. There was a stewardship in their generosity. Their possessions weren't their own. This is huge. They didn't believe in ownership. They believed in stewardship. God owns everything that I have, and I'm just a steward. He owns it. I steward it. It's a different kind of body. There was a sharing spirit in their generosity. They shared everything they had. Never invite somebody into your house. It's like, my house is your house. So You can go to the refrigerator, you can do whatever, you just can't sleep in my bed. But everything else you can share other than my wife, right? There was a powerful witness in their generosity. With great power they testified. And there was grace for the needy in their generosity. There was no neediness among them. Even people living in poverty gave in the early church in 2 Corinthians 8. Paul said this, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Severe trial translates into overwhelming joy. And extreme poverty wells up in rich generosity. This was the early church. So even writers in the first century wrote things like this. This letter to Diognetus said this, they are poor and yet make many rich. They're short of everything and yet have plenty of things. It didn't make sense. There are three characteristics that mark the early church. Gratitude, grace, and generosity thanksgiving, forgiving, and giving. And they were extravagant givers. From the widow's might to vast property of a landowner. From a woman's alabaster jar broken at the feet of Jesus to a business owner's extra house that they would sell and lay at the apostles' feet. From the alms for the poor to the field of a wealthy farmer, all the believers, rich and poor, were equally sacrificial. It wasn't equal giving, it was equal sacrifice in the church. Nobody's asking everybody to give the same thing. We all are equally sacrificing because that's what the early church did. I got permission to share this story from a single mom. I actually talked to her after the service in the first service who stopped by the church a little while back and dropped off this note with her tithe. Here is $208. It's all I have. God said to give him all I have. So I am. Praying that this is a blessing for the church family. However it is needed. And you're like, well, why do you keep this stuff? I keep All the memorials so that when life's bad, I realize God's been good. People have been good. There are good people in this world that have good hearts, that pour out their hearts that are sacrificial. And I want you to know there is hope in our society because people have a goodness in them. They're just waiting for something worth sharing it to and with. She explained that she felt deeply moved to give all of what she had one weekend, and began tithing as she began her new job in the coming days. But the most potent part of her story was when she explained that as a recovering alcoholic, God convicted her of the liquor under her bed that she needed to fully and finally surrender. She went on to explain that as she took the bottles and poured them on the lawn, the battle raged inside of her as she watched her comfort and coping mechanism seep into the dirt. But she knew God was needing to be first, not only in her finances, but her heart. And that obedience was what would ultimately bring her freedom. This is where we come from in our church. These are our roots. All the believers were one in heart and mind, all of them. In Acts chapter 4, verse 34, it says, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, gave that offering, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Some of you are like, I, I can't relate to that. I literally am upside down on my mortgage right now. Like I I am in the house, but I don't own the house. The bank owns the house. I don't understand about having fields and land and extra money and things I could liquidate and bring. The, even these are investments. We're talking about things that once you liquidate and turn it into cash, it's no longer an investment for the future. I don't know anything about that life. That's okay because you're part of the all of the believers who give what they can and sacrifice what they can. And, and if you have a little, you sacrifice a little. If you have a lot, a lot is what the sacrifice is. But in the early church, there were people that had a lot of money and it drove the movement of God forward. In fact, I talked, ironically enough, a guy called me on the phone this week and he said, my family and I have been tithing faithfully, but God's put it on our heart and we've prayed about this, that we want to tithe from the revenue of our business this next year. Can you help me do that? And I'm like, I can't help you do that because I'm not the financial director. I don't know what anybody gives and where it's going around here, um, but I can give you to Chas Zemansky who is doing the checks and balances and she can tell you, he's like, do I put it in with our personal giving or do I separate it? I'm like, you do that for the sake of your taxes in your life. But he just said, I just want God to bless my family and I want him to know my business is his business and I want that business to bless God the way he's blessed me too. This is a Barnabas heart in our church and there are other Barnabases in this church and you mean a great deal not any more than the little boy who gave two dollars or the single mom who gave a little over two hundred dollars but it takes all of us to drive the mission of the early church and the latter-day saint church forward in the world barnabas was this guy and there was a letter of barnabas it never got in the canon of scripture but he said this do not be quick to reach out your hands to take while drawing them back from giving he was like don't be a consumer and not be a contributor. You should share all things with your neighbor. You should not call things your own. For if you are partners in the common things which are incorruptible, which is eternity in heaven, how much more of those things which are corruptible, like the things that we have, our, our things, our stuff, our money. You shall not hesitate to give nor murmur when you give. Then you will know who is the good repayer of the reward, the ever-giving, ever-living God written 1,900 years ago out of the heart of an early church giver. Even as I'm calling on all men, women, and children to participate in the sacrament of giving, I think it was the astonishing giving of the wealthy that drove the movement of the early church and allowed church planning to explode. Acts names those in the early church who were men and women of means that sacrificed for the advancement of the kingdom and the funding of the movement of Christianity. We looked at the first one was Barnabas. And then there was Dorcas, which is a very unfortunate name, but... She had a fortune, just an unfortunate name. Cornelius actually was saved. He was a Roman centurion who became part of the church and Rome paid him and he used his pay to drive the church forward, ironically enough. Sergius Paulus in Acts 13, Lydia owned her own business, was a woman of means, started a church plant right in her home. I'm glad I got in on this. In Acts chapter 17, Jason himself was kicking in and pouring out his life. That guy was an amazing servant, very hospitable, very generous. Aquila and Priscilla, the just power couple of the New Testament that just you know, took Paul under their wing and basically just supported his ministry and missionary work. And then Menascent of Cyprus, Acts 21, these were the ones that had land and businesses and houses and they would sell them and bring it to the church and say the church is going forward. And I'm calling on that crucial community of wealthier people in our church to join the story of Acts with us today. So as many of you know, this year our generosity is largely weighted toward the next generation. All the extra money given above and beyond ties is going to invest in our kids and students. And just this last quarter, we gave another $74,000 to Next Generation to drive the events coming up that they've already done and the things that they're going to do. I think this year in the first quarter... We've put together a little over $200,000 that have been given by people that just are tithing to our church and it's just all spilling over into the next generation. And uh, Dale Moody said this, he was in ministry, and I, I said this six months ago when I was casting the vision. He said, if I could relive my life, I'd devote my entire ministry to reaching children for God. And when I read that, I was like, oh my goodness, I am 49 years old. I don't want to get on my deathbed and wish that I gave more of my ministry to devoting it to kids and children, the next generation. I want to start doing it now, not on my deathbed. So this provision for the, the vision of the next generation is happening and needs to continue to happen, particular in December this year-end giving month. Follow conference that we talked about six months ago is actually happening in about two weeks where our students are going December 28th through the 30th down to Cincinnati and we prayed for 150 50 kids, 152 kids are going and 33 leaders were paying for all the leaders to go so they didn't have to pay and we're giving scholarships to these kids. Uh, we are the biggest group that's going out of a group of 6000 that are joining together there by twice as many that are taking them and it's it's because of this all of the youth pastors are like, how did you get so many people to go? We could not get people to get the money in the families. It's because the church has already given over $50,000 to sponsor kids to be able to go to lower the cost to like $150 for our students. It's because of you that we're doing this. And they're like, well, how did you get them to do that? And it's like, because we have an amazing lead pastor. Um, that, no, that's not what we said, No. But the buses, the scholarships, paying for the adult leaders, still more is needed. But this is what we're giving our money to. Our young adults ministry that we just launched this year from nothing. It was cool this week. We went out to Swiss Lane Dairy Farm in the old barn out there. And the guys and girls separated. And John and Ryan and myself and Jake spent time with about 27 young men. And they asked just deep questions. And we, it was real talk for men in the barn. And it smelled like manure. And it was awesome. Awesome. Here's a skid steer out there pushing manure around we're trying to talk over it was a perfect place for these guys Pizza manure and real talk for men had an unbelievable time on Thursday night while we were meeting the women were meeting at our house and this is in the living room and they had one more girl showed up than we did and I hated that because I wanted to beat them but anyway there was about 28 of them they met down in the basement and uh, my wife and Lindsay and Ashton and Sarah were there pouring into them down in the basement and there there's like almost 60 of these young adults that are being poured into or calling them up into faith and they have an event that we talked about six months ago, Passion, where they're going all the way down to Atlanta. We've already rented the bus. We've spent the money. There's registration. There's hotels. They're joining 60,000 others from their generation, 18 to 25. That's happening right after the new year. And that whole event, probably when all is said and done for the 50 we're sending down, is going to be a little over $30,000. And we're doing it. We're just trusting God by faith. All the money that's come in, we're paying it out. I love this conference. It's been going on 25 five years and it's come from a verse in Isaiah 26, 8. And this is the verse, yes, Lord. Walking in the way of your truth, we eagerly wait for you for your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. And when 18 to 25-year-olds say, yes, Lord, we're about your name, your renown, and your truth, man, powerful things are gonna happen there. And 50 of our kids are going, I think there's a little over 30 now, just need more funds and provision for the mission of the vision of getting this next generation in encounters with God like that. One other that... I just wanted to bring up to you that's going to be six months from now is we want to do summer camps for the first time for our children, elementary, middle, and high school around here. Um, My dream is to have over 200 kids go to summer camp. Um, I looked at the camps back when I went to camp. It was $125. Now to go to camp, it's between $500 and $1,000 to get to camps. No wonder why kids don't go to camps. And there's football camp and there's band camp and there's lacrosse camp and there's crocheting camp and there's badminton camp. There's camps for everything in the world, but nobody's getting to camps that are just saying, God's awesome. Do you want to give your life to God for the rest of your life? And so we're doing that. I'm guessing if we're going to cut the cost so that families can afford it in our church, this will cost every bit of sixty to $75,000 to make this happen. So the giving now is what's giving the vision for that to take place in the future. Because when you change the kids, you change the world. In Acts 20, Paul is coming to the end of his life. He told the church of Ephesus, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive which is crazy because in Matthew Mark Luke John he never said that this was passed along through oral tradition from other people he did say I didn't come to be served but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many we don't come to church to be served we come to serve we don't come to be loved we come to be loved we don't come to get anything. We come to give everything. That's the body of Christ. Yes. That's Christmas. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So for our year on giving, I'm calling our church toward early church generosity for the generations. Last year, our year end giving in December, we received nearly 200,000 more than tithes and offerings that backfilled where we came from in the shortages and front filled the vision for the year. And this year I'm praying for 300,000 more. To fuel the next generation, not only for the events that I just shared with you, but for the years to come as we pour into them. Nothing's more important than investing our hearts and souls into the next generation. From Barnabas to the single mom. From the six-year-old to the $60,000 given by a businessman in our church. Year in giving. We just want to be a giving church. And I just want every one of you to know the part that you play. In the generosity of the early church in Acts 4, God, would you renew your deeds in our day, in our time, make them known. God, show up and show off this month for the sake of your kingdom so that we can be generous to our community, we can be generous to our kids, and we can give God worship with a sacrament of our generosity in this church. Just, it's on my heart to pray. I don't know if you... Or where last night, right before our service, a man was struck by a car out crossing the road from, I believe, Bigby or Subway. And uh, he was, he's a greeter at our door that was here before the service and was walking across the road. And it was a very devastating accident. He's in the hospital. Um, Philip Leonard is his name. And uh, this, man, this morning I woke up and, man, I did not even want to preach this message at all because my heart just aches for him and for our community, the loss of life, even this last week on Thursday night. We've gone through a lot of tragedy, one of our youth leaders passing away months ago. And I just don't want to get so into what we're about here, and I'm so excited for this, but my heart breaks as a shepherd in this community for the, the life that is just hanging on right now, Philip. And if we could join together and pray for Philip and his family. And his children. God, you say in Second Corinthians 1, you are the God of all comfort. And we are praying for your comfort now. You are the healer. And so we're crying out to you as the healer. And though many may not know Philip in this church... Uh, they've probably been greeted by him as they've come in here on certain weeks. Philip's had a very hard life. So much brokenness and pain. As and so we lift him up, we lift his mom up. I know she's grieving so much right now, and his kids. Can't even imagine. <sighs> it's touch and go. And from what I hear, it'll take a miracle for him to survive. We don't know your plans for his life. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were asked to kneel down, said, our God can deliver us, and our God will deliver us. And then they said, but even if he does not, we will not bow down to that graven image. And so we believe you can and that you will, but even if you don't, God, you are God, and you have a plan. But we, in our hearts, are crushed. So we ask for you to invade that room with your presence and bring comfort and compassion to that family. And as we leave today, may this ever be on our hearts as we go home. May all of us hug our kids, our wives, our husbands, our families. And to not let any time pass without just being unbelievably grateful for the day that we have. Who cares about Lions football? We have these cherished, treasured, living souls all around us. Awaken our hearts to what really matters in life. We love you, Jesus. May we be a compassionate, merciful, generous, and loving people in our community this week. We pray this in your son's name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.